Welcome to Dialogue Out Loud Interviews. My name is Margaret Olson-Hemming, and I'm the art editor at Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought. Today, I'm here with one of the artists whose art can be found in the winter 2022 issue of the journal. Rose Daytok Dahl is a Filipina-American artist who is an award-winning contemporary figurative painter known for her bold colors and graphic compositions. Her most iconic pieces are sacred works on the life of the Savior. Rose received her BFA in Fine Art Studio and Art History from Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. She is the wife and mother of four adult children and grandmother or Lola to three grandchildren. Rose, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. So I'd love to hear a little bit of uh, your background when you first began creating art and maybe some of the challenges you faced in choosing to pursue artistic study and and become a full-time working artist. Uh, well, my background in art, uh, I think I had, I had been drawing and painting my entire life. And most of, uh, most of which has been self-taught up until I really went to college. I mean, I took art in high school, just like most other art students, but um, I think really I was mostly self-taught. And then I, I decided to get my, my degree in art history and fine art studio, but I actually um, had thought about going into film um, when I entered art school. I thought maybe I'd go in that direction, but I think I was maybe born in the wrong decade. Um, but having said that, I don't regret my path and the path that I've taken um, but having said that, the, I think film and cinematography uh, influence my work to this day. Can you go into that a little bit? Um, where do you see where do you see film and cinematography influencing your work or or how do you see it? In my compositions, okay. by far, that is the most obvious um, place that you can see that influence i love alfred hitchcock in particular the way he he sets up his compositions um uh when he designs a shot and i found um, that to be so uh, powerful as a means of communication uh, the use of composition and juxtaposition of figures and you could say so much with just composition very simple compositions. Yeah, that's interesting because I've often thought that that is a particular feature of your work is is how you compose figures. So I, that's that's great to hear. Um, your pieces in the winter issue are titled "Anointing for Burial" and "Loaves and Fishes." Um, you have done a lot of paintings of the Savior in all different periods of his life. You did a series of his childhood. Um, you've done his his adult life where he was ministering to people. Um, and your paintings have changed over time with how you visualize the savior, how you like the the, the different faces that you've used. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that's 
how it's changed over time? I think that my my work as I've gotten older has not only evolved um, stylistically. I think I'm varying towards more simple shapes and forms and bolder colors, simpler lines. Um, at the same time, um, the way that I have portrayed the savior has evolved. Um, I I I called the way that I had been portraying him maybe like a decade ago as sort of as the classic iconic jesus mm -hmm. um i wanted him to be very recognizable so i leaned on the classic icon and he was your classic for lack of a better term white jesus mm -hmm. and he's very recognizable and um and then 2020 happened and the world went a little bit crazy and um all of a sudden there was this racial awareness um happening and it was it was a very tumultuous year and i really was unaware that i was contributing to maybe the problem a problem in um in depicting him in sort of this the I want to say the classic way. And I I began to um, sort of assess my work. And being a person of color, um, it, it dawned on me that I should probably be a little bit more aware of my own portrayals and to be more sensitive mm -hmm. to some racial issues and i don't know what jesus really looks like but i thought that may maybe i need to reassess how i portray him he is jewish and there are many races within the jewish culture even with the diaspora um you have white jews you have darker jews you have african jews and and somewhere I had to find a way of portraying him that would at least narrow down <laughs> where he might be from geographically. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I wanted to hear that story partly because this issue was about the body of Christ. That was the theme for the contest that Dialogue did in this issue. And so I think the the literal idea of what is the body of Christ is so important to explore in the art. Um, so I have a disclaimer here and that I need to, to put forward. As, as I said, I don't really know what Jesus looks like, but I think what was more important, since I do rely more on symbolism and I, I really do push the graphic elements um, so that I'm I'm purposefully not being literal. I hope I'm being poetic and that really more the spirit of Christ comes forth mm -hmm. as opposed to it saying, this is what I absolutely know what Jesus looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's a great value in how many images you've done in that way and that you 
have clearly said, you know, you're exploring all of these different representations of the body of Christ. And it's it's pretty cool that it's changed so much over time. Um, can you tell us a little bit more specifically about these pieces? Um, loaves and fishes and anointing for burial. Can you tell us, you know, what they how they're composed and what's the inspiration behind them? Sure. So loaves and fishes, as you as you can see, that it's very, very different from uh, anointing for burial. You have the classic Jesus. As I painted that, I want to say perhaps in 2015, uh, the, I did anointing for burial in 2021. And loaves and fishes, of course, is the story where Jesus is surrounded by the multitude and they have followed him and they they just want to be around him and they're just um and they've been with jesus all day but they have nothing to feed the multitudes and and so jesus says you know don't send them away to go you know go into town and buy food um we will feed them and then there's the miracle where he takes the 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 loaves and the fishes and multiplies them to feed the five thousand, which is an amazing miracle. But I I just I I loved the um this image that came to me of all things. I was um, where I had come up with the idea was when I was on trek <laughs> with the youth, a pioneer trek in Virginia. And I was at a vantage point on this hill, and I saw the multitudes of the youth beneath me. And I, and I thought, here these youth have gathered to be not only to have this cool pioneer truck experience, but they were they were there to be spiritually fed. And I thought about that, and the composition was so cool in my head because I had been I was the truck photographer. And I and I sort of took that and I did this painting composition just based on on that aha moment while I was on track, which was if you don't know what Pioneer Trek is, it's a sort of a reenactment. This is for the other viewers. It's a reenactment of the the Mormon pioneers. We call them Mormons back then, I guess. <laughs> pioneers trekking um across the u.s to the great salt lake so um that's where at least the idea the genesis behind that painting mm -hmm. um happened and then um the other painting anointing for burial and as i was reading in the scriptures i noticed that um i came across several different passages in the gospels and the, the different gospels describing this event and as i looked up other artwork about um this scene where martha sorry mary the sister of martha um at least that's who they believe it to be and according to scriptures had um had come to to visit Jesus while he is sitting at meat 
and um, and she goes and anoints his head, and she anoints his feet for burial. But in all other depictions, I don't think that I came across maybe more than one image where um, Jesus was being anointed on his head. It's mostly Jesus being anointed, um, having his feet anointed and washed with her hair. Mm-hmm. And um, and in fact, it can be confused with another event. This happened at another time where Jesus's feet were, was washed by the sinful woman. Mm-hmm. So it's not that event. That is not that same event. This is later. This is closer to his um, his death. This is um, closer to Easter, and he knows that his death is impending, and she comes in and anoints him. But in all other depictions I have seen, that is sort of inferred as this sort of surreptitious event done on the sly. And I really wanted to honor this event because he, Jesus, even honors her in this in the scriptures. He says that wheresoever throughout the world shall be spoken for a memorial of her and it was a significant moment it was it was like it was like an ordinance where she was anointing his head and she was anointing his feet um and um and so rarely do you see him being anointed on his head i thought i'd like to to give that moment um some honor that it that it was due and i hadn't really seen it depicted that way and so i purposefully um used an arch composition and she's right in the center and it's a very very sacred moment yeah i think it's just an incredibly striking image um the way she she has his hand her hands on on his head and stands behind him and adding to it with with just how, you know, it sort of stops you in your tracks is this yellow color that you used behind the figures. What significance does that have for you? How did you choose that really strong color as a background? I tend to use that color as my background when I'm starting most paintings. Um, It's a great... um, it's a, it's somewhere in between neutral and colorful mm. and my paintings um tend to be more on the colorful side and i just i don't know there's something about that rich warm yellow ochre that is just so warm and inviting that once i put color on it it just pops and and as i said even um even with paintings where I've entirely painted over that background. I usually start with that color hmm. because it really amps up my use of color from from the beginning. If I I notice that if I use a, a more neutral gray background, my paintings tend to be on the more muted side. Hmm. And I really, I really love that punch of color, which um is something that you'll see throughout all of my work. I yeah. look at the painting behind me. I mean, I just really love, I, you know, I either use something like yellow ochre or you use red as my background. It really just 
amps up my color from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, how do you see your work engaging with larger issues of of Mormon art or Mormon culture? Um, yeah, do you see do you see a connecting to other conversations going on? I definitely see that my art really um, connects with conversations about representation, racial representation in art. And um, and I'm definitely an advocate for more more diverse rep- representation in art. Um, after all, um, a lot of the art that I I create is sacred, and I mean, the LDS Church is a um, is a global church now, mm-hmm. and um, I'm speaking from that place. I'm speaking from that place as um, that my 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 faith really drives my art mm-hmm. and my LDS culture um, is um, comes out in my art. Yeah. And I'm speaking to that culture. Um, and other, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I also see you depicting more women from scriptures than just about any other LDS artist I know. Um, well, as a woman artist, mm-hmm. it's important, uh, first and foremost, to speak from an authentic place and being a woman, I'm really speaking from a woman's point of view. And the more that I uh, read and studied the scriptures, I especially appreciate, you have to read between the lines, but I appreciate the relationship that the Savior has with women and with the women disciples in the scriptures. And it's so easy to gloss over, but he really was a social revolutionary because he crossed all kinds of social lines. He hung out with publicans and sinners uh, because the gospel is for everybody. And he treated women with the due respect, you know, the, with the respect that they were due. And if you take a look at the scripture de- describing um, anointing for burial, where Mary is anointing Jesus for burial, uh, if you look at the conversation that was happening, the disciples were were rebuking her, and he put a stop to that right away. He was he was not going to put up with them berating her for what she was doing, and he he gave her the respect that she was due. And I think he does that in many other places in the scriptures. He does that with. Uh, the adulterous woman if you look at that scene uh there was a mom scene a potential mom scene happening where this woman who was brought forth for committing adultery could if she could have gotten stoned and he wasn't gonna have any of that he wasn't gonna feed the frenzy of the mob and so he just sits down and starts drawing in the sand and he was not going to feed this fire 
And um, and it's interesting to think. I in my mind, I like to think that he had compassion on this woman. He was not going to let her be disgraced and be used to trap him. We really was a scene where they were trying to trap Jesus into doing something, so that they could use it as fuel for fire to um, uh, for blasphemy or something. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he. Um, he just sort of let the situation to the way he kind of confounded them with his reaction to the situation and then said, um, you know, any of you who have not sinned, you know, you can cast the first stone, basically. And they kind of fizzled away. And then he treated her with due respect. And so the, I've done a painting this called um, Where Are Those Nine Accusers? And um, this is a point where the multitudes have kind of they've kind of the accusers have have kind of fizzled away and um have melted away into the crowd and um she's standing there thinking wait a minute i thought it was just about to be stoned and he gave her her dignity and she's standing right there smack dab in the middle of that composition and she's standing trying to maintain that dignity and and he gives it to her um and um and then there's the uh, the instance where mary sorry the instance where uh, jesus meets the samaritan woman i do have a sketch of that by the way jesus chooses to not only share the gospel with a Samaritan um, who, whom the Jews, I guess, hated. Uh, they there was a great enmity between these two groups who both claimed to, I guess, be descendants and followers of um, Abraham's religion, or um Jacob and and he chooses to to talk to the Samaritan and she's a woman and that wasn't done either uh culturally you're not supposed to be alone I guess with another woman this and uh to um to converse and to have the kind of conversation that they had. But he chose to cross over social boundaries to to share the gospel with her. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is it's it was it was pretty radical in his day. No. Um before we go, can you tell us a little bit more about uh what other projects you're involved in? artistic or or otherwise what do you have what do you have going on right now i'm really having fun um exploring uh, uh, reinterpretations of some of the images that i've already done Hmm. and as my art has been evolving as i had mentioned i um varying more towards simpler forms i'm also exploring and reinterpreting these images in in monoprints 
and uh, I think I could be painting sacred imagery, sacred imagery, until I die. Mm. And I, I'm so drawn to the life of the Savior. I could paint that to, till the day I die. So there are only so many ways you can interpret it the same way. So I've, I've, I've let the natural evolution happen in my own artwork, and and sort of let that drive where it takes me because uh as i grow spiritually um i i think my art evolves um as well and i'm just sort of letting that happen naturally Mm -hmm. i'm having fun exploring and experimenting and so i'm very excited about some of the new images that i'm i'm painting that is very exciting to me as well. That just sounds amazing. Um, where can people find more of your work and and see what you're doing and what you're sharing with the world? Uh, I do have a website that uh, people can visit at rosedaytalkdoll.com. And you can also find me on Instagram. Again, rosedaytalkdoll is my, is my tag. You can also find me on Facebook at uh, Rose Day Talk Doll Studio, which is my Facebook business page. Oh, wonderful. And that's pretty much where you can find me on social media. Perfect. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your art with Dialogue. And thank you, Rose, for joining me today to talk about your incredible work and craft. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hello, this is Andrew Hall, host of the Dialogue Book Report. Each episode features brilliant minds from the world of Mormon publishing. One thing we like to do is instead of focusing on a single guest, we like to bring in two or more guests who are working in similar fields and put their works in conversation with each other. Recently, we brought in Michael Austin and Stephen Carter, two of the leading cultural commentators of Mormonism in the 21st century, and had them talk about their recent biographies of two of the great minds of the 20th century, Vardis Fisher and Virginia Sorensen. You can subscribe to all of the Dialogue Journal podcasts by going to dialoguejournal.com and check out all of our past episodes. Dialogue Podcast Network.